today's uh, uh, panel discussion is there's there's so many elements to to veterans transitioning out of the military from from recruitment and retention to to translating our skill sets. Today's really just a general discussion about um, that that transition piece, and, and we're fortunate to have with us three veterans from Comcast. Um, so before I get into it, really, I just thought maybe you guys, uh, I'll, I'll do just a quick scrub of your of your bio, and then you guys, if you can just talk a little about your transition. Each of you came out of of the service at different times and rolled into different civilian jobs, and you each had uniquely different uh, transition experiences. So before we do that, just give you an idea of who we have, who we're, who we're fortunate to have sitting up here with us. Uh, Brigadier General Dr. Carol Eggert is the uh, Senior Vice President of Military and Veterans Affairs at Comcast. Uh, I won't read the entire thing. There's a litany of, of accolades and, and uh, of experiences here, but um, yeah, well, there is, it's a, yes, ma'am. Um, uh, Carol leads a team that provides a strategic leadership to all aspects of programs and outreach engaging the military and veteran community. So in a nutshell, um, leads the Comcast's Comcast NBC Universal's efforts to engage the military both externally and internally. Um, Carol, uh, 30 plus, is it 30 years in the, 30 plus years? 30 plus, yeah, Who, who's counting after that? Um, including a 15 month tour, combat tour to Iraq where she was the uh, senior liaison to the embassy and the chief of the Women's Initiatives Division, um, Purple, uh, Purple Heart uh, recipient as well as a Bronze Star recipient. Um, and a Penn Stater, which is very important to me. So, a, what? a Penn Stater. I forgot. Uh, amongst other things, yes, amongst other things, Army War College, and where she was also the former Deputy Commandant, uh, and has been uh, has, has received accolades. Uh, I, there was so many to list, but uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs Center for Women Veterans listed Carol as uh, veteran uh, women veteran trailblazers, women veteran trailblazers. And she was listed in Variety's Salute to Service Impact list, which is a, a pretty noteworthy accomplishment. Uh, next to her, Sean Casey is the Lieutenant Colonel. Sean Casey is the Senior Director of Communications at Comcast for the Military and Veterans Affairs Department or Division. Uh, he leads the internal and external communications to support the company's military-focused programs, uh, works for Carroll, and supports that, that uh, communications. Sean is a former armor officer. 17 years in total, right, active in reserve. Um, currently a lieutenant colonel in the reserves, uh, transitioned from armor to the public affairs officer 10 years ago, is that right? About 10 years, About 10 years ago, ago and, and currently serves in, in that role now. Um, and, uh, and next to me, Ed Carr, who uh, also works for the Military and Veterans Affairs, senior director in the, in the division, correct? Yeah, yeah. In the division. Operations. On the operations side. Um, focuses on the partnerships with governmental and nonprofit veteran um, organization, uh, Comcast Outreach. Former combat medic, uh, multiple deployments to the Middle East and all over the place. Right, it was a it was a lot of deployments. A little of everywhere. Little, a little bit, a little bit of everywhere. Um, also, numerous commendations, including a Meritorious Service Medal with six Oak Leaf Clusters and the Combat Medical Badge. Um, so uh, we're, very, we're very honored and, and uh, excited to have them here with us today. To kick it off, I'll start over with Carol. Um, we, you want to talk a little bit about your transition. Um, and uh, each, each of you came from 
a different, uh, a different unit and transition a different period in your lives. So maybe if you want to just talk a little bit about your transition experience and, uh, and, and sort of maybe just pick, if you can pluck from that one of the highs and, and maybe one of the lows, one of the challenges you experienced coming out. I'll start with saying you said Ed works for me. One thing that um, I think notes our, our company is we work together. So I hate that. I, I do not use uh, personal pronouns. Nobody works for me. We all work together. You know how it is in the Army. We all have so many different experiences that we bring something to the table. So uh, we all work together. And by golly, we need to work together. But when you think about transition and veterans when it comes to transition, it's not a one-time thing. We transition repeatedly. When we are in the service, we transition from one assignment to the other. Or we, uh, we transition from uh, the deployment site over to the next deployment site. It was just constant that you had to be flexible. You had to be able to pivot. You had to be able to analyze a new environment. So this is just our transitions in the military. And so I think we were uniquely prepared when we think about transitioning to the civilian world. Now for me, personally, I had to transition from being enlisted. I was enlisted for 12 years. I joined the Army at 17. Uh, I joined the Army Band. And so I had to transition from enlisted to officer. And then I transitioned from active duty to National Guard. I spent some time in the Reserve. I often joke that it looks like I couldn't hold a job, so I had to move around a lot. But um, I think I understand many of the different components because of that. So in the Guard, I had a civilian job, many different civilian jobs. So you, you're, you have a foot in each, each world. In fact, I did some work for Selwyn Evans back in 2008 and 2009 before I deployed to Iraq. Um, so it wasn't unusual for me as a, a Guard member to understand the civilian world. So when I actually retired, the transition for me was transitioning as an executive into the private sector. You know, yes, I was a general officer, um, but it's not the same as an executive position in the private sector. I think that's what challenges many of us is to understand the a matrixed organization when you come from a hierarchical organization. So for me, that was a challenge. And the damn acronyms, we thought we were bad, yeah. but the private sector has, and I'll give you one, when I got there, they kept talking about NCO. And I'm thinking, NCO, what, who are the NCOs here? And it was National Customer Operations. But they had no, you know how we have our, our book of um, yeah. definitions for our acronyms? Comcast had nothing, so I tell you what, I was lost when it came to acronyms. Uh, so getting used to that sort of thing was a challenge for me, but I think we were, Guard members are uniquely prepared because we spend uh, time in both worlds. Sean? Uh, so my experience, uh, so I, there's two transition experiences that happened within a short period of time that were, I think, significant uh, for myself, um, you know, as maturing and kind of figuring out my own way in the world is, so I, you know, I joined the Army um, after graduating college in 03. And uh, when I left in 07, um, I knew I didn't want to become a gray-haired field grade officer, which I did end up becoming, but um, I, I loved the Army. I loved my friends, but at that point in my life, I'd just come back from a combat deployment in, in Iraq um, in 06, and I just said, I kind of want to explore other things. 
Did I have any idea what those other things were? Heck no. <laughs> I had no idea, but I wanted to said, well, I'm young now. I'm still in my, I'm in my late 20s. I wasn't married. I didn't have children. Uh, so I think I had a bit of independence when it came to making such a big uh, change in my life. Um, what I didn't foresee at that time was um, how much the Army in that short period of time, of that was four years going from college and then my young adult life, how much it had ingrained in me. Um, because being a, I was a platoon leader, part of a, a unit at the 101st Airborne Division, and you know, my first day we met with our squadron commander and he said, you guys, all of us new lieutenants, said, you have 72 hours to be a screw-up. Once those 72 hours is done, you better have your stuff locked in, right? Tight shot group. Because we're going to war in less than a year. And so that really put a sense of purpose um, and focus. And so when I transitioned to the civilian world, um, luckily I went into the defense industry. So a lot of people I was working around, a lot of my coworkers were former military. So from a cultural perspective and an understanding, uh, there was that, and that was huge. That was such a great thing for me. Um, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't have my sense of purpose, because I, I couldn't articulate it. And being uh, an officer and being a leader, you, know, you get ingrained in you, 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 better, you better give task and purpose to your people. So if I couldn't articulate that for myself, I felt like a bit of a failure because I, even though I had a job and everything was great, to me, what I, I, I didn't have that sense of fulfillment. And so that was challenging for me because I felt like, geez, I just led men in combat and I've gone through this amazing experience and here I am moving forward in my life and I felt a bit lost. Um, and so uh, uh, less than two years later, I got called up from the IRR. Um, I didn't know they'd run out of armor officers, but the <laughs> Army did. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise, yeah. And so uh, I, I left for another year for a deployment. Um, I got assigned to a, a National Guard unit and, and filled in for one of the battalion staffs. And that experience was great in the sense that I went back to a place I was familiar with. Right? I knew the Army. I knew how things worked. If you're in a deployment, life gets really small. Right? You just worry about your job eating and maybe some exercise, right? Uh, life gets really simple. Was there a, a transition yeah. like to go back in because you were IRR now, which means you had been, you'd sort of washed your hands of the military. So was there a transition to kind of get up to speed and how the army had changed from the time you had left? Yeah. Did you find your gear? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Luckily I kept my stuff. Well, at least I kept enough uniforms. I didn't have to buy much uh, when I came back in. I had only been out for 14 months. Oh, wow. So, I mean, uh, luckily, um, it was I wasn't too far removed. However, psychologically, it was like, yeah. oh, geez, I'm. I remember landing in our Fob Taji where I ended up being deployed, and stepping off a helicopter. And the the unit I was assigned to had already been in country for about a month, and so I landed at like 2 a.m. at Fob Taji, which is a, a base just north of of Baghdad, and. Uh, I step off and the CH-47 powers down. I think we were the last flight for the night. And there was just silence, but the smell of the desert, it all came rushing back. Um, but what was really different about that experience, as opposed to my previous deployment in 06, 
was that to my right and left weren't my buddies. Yeah. Weren't my soldiers that I had trained with, that I had lived with, that had grown connections with. I was by myself. And that, that, was, that taught me a lot about transition and about even if you feel lost, try to rely on what you've been taught and your character and that'll help you get through some, some difficult times. But uh, when I came back from that deployment and transitioned back to the civilian world, it was night and day. I came home from that deployment, did about three days of paperwork, and then they sent me home. And that was really difficult um, because I didn't have other friends coming with me coming home. You know, I was, I was getting sent back to the civilian world. Um, and so what I really uh, relied on in those transition challenges is, um, in hindsight, I struggled for a while, is even if you don't have a plan, uh, a definitive plan, um, just rely on your instincts and at least trying to continue moving forward, whether that's an inch or whether those are, are big steps forward. Um, and you'll get through it. But you, you got to be able to, to walk through the darkness a little bit. Yeah. To comment on something Sean said that I think is very valuable, you know, he didn't give himself credit in that he didn't know what he wanted. But I think there's a lot of value in knowing what you don't want. Mm. Being able to eliminate options is a good thing that gets you closer to knowing what you do want. So n don't feel bad that you don't know what you want. There's a lot to be said for knowing what you don't want. So there, there are some similarities um, that I, from their stories is with mine. You know, when that transition time actually came, not really knowing what I wanted to do yet and all that. Um, but like a little differently though from their stories, you know, I, I also joined when I was 17, uh, joined the army. Um, graduated high school, was in the Army less than a week after I graduated high school, walked across the stage right onto, literally onto the plane and, and off to Fort Leonard Wood, um, and then uh, came home for about a week, and then nobody saw me again for a few years because I went to Germany initially. Um, you can hear the laughs when you said yeah. Leonard Wood. You can hear the, yeah, the, yeah. the chuckles here. Everybody, anybody who's been lost in the woods we, knows that, right? We've all suffered. We all suffered. So. There's nothing like marching through the Ozarks in the middle of July. Um, anyways, um, so yeah, I went to Germany for a few years, came back. I'll tell you, I was transitioning out of the Army every single time I came up for reenlistment for 23 yeah, years. Yeah. Like literally every single time. I was a second away from the door, and it really came down to I sat down, and somebody would ask me, what are you going to do? Are you getting out? Yep. All right, what are you going to do? And... I would sit there and I'd be like, yeah, this is too much work. Like, I really don't even want to think about this. Like, I'm going to go re-enlist because I know what this job is. This is, this is cool. Is, you know, and I usually would re-enlist and go find whoever was deploying next and go disappear for a while and go do that. I, 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 I love how you said when you're deployed, life is, is easier. Yeah. It is. I felt that way, too. Um, it, was, it, it just really shortened down what I had to focus on and, and what I had to, to deal with. And I made more money. So, you know, I spent a lot of time um, as an infantry medic. Most of my time as a medic was an infantry medic. So, you know, we'd go work hard and then, you know, we party hard when we were back. So I, I loved it. Um, eventually, I was issued a wife and kids and all that stuff. <laughs> so when, once that happened, your perspectives on life change. Um, and so I, I then went on and um, recruiting got a hold of me. And I finished out my career in recruiting. Um, 
probably the best thing that ever happened to me in my Army career, to be honest with you, was going into recruiting. Um, it actually set me up for when I was ready to leave for good. Um, I, I, I sometimes, and I struggled. I did have a struggle when I transitioned out. Um, like I said, I, I kept re-enlisting every time. What actually made me, I would have stayed longer than 23 years. I, the plan was to stay until they kicked me out at, at one point. That was the plan. Um, and then I, I severely injured my right leg uh, doing PT, believe it or not. All deployments never got a scratch on the outside, never got a scratch. PT severely break my leg, like to the point where I'm laid up for months. Um, pretty much broke everything in my leg. Um, anyways, in that time that I was laid up on the couch, that's when I came to the realization it's time to, to call it a day. You know, if I'm starting to break down just running, <laughs> it's like that's a sign. That should be a sign. Uh, I, always, I always said, too, I'm not going to be that guy that's not out there doing PT with, with the troops. Like, if, we're, if I'm falling out of my own run, I, it's time for me to call it a day. So um, that's when I decided it was time to start looking. Um, and so I really started focusing on what am I going to do from the couch, right, like while I was laying on the couch. Um, and so looking back now, so I've been out, I've been retired now for, what, six, seven years now. Um, and so this, we're talking like eight years ago now, I'm having these thoughts or I'm having these, these discoveries of what am I going to do. Um, you know, I was really pigeonholing myself on what field I could go into, right? Because, like, the military did such a great job of training me to say, hey, you're a medic, or hey, you're a recruiter. So, hey, when you get out, you can do something medical or you can do something talent-related. That's it. And really, that's all I thought I could do, honestly. Um, I, I didn't even look beyond that. There were no SkillBridge fellowship programs. Um, Back, the, back the, just six years ago, there were, there were, they were, or seven years ago, they weren't there. Um, you know, there wasn't these opportunities. I think these are fantastic opportunities too. So those of you that are in fellowship program, congratulations for taking advantage of that. I, I, I wish it was there. I would have jumped on that opportunity. Um, you know, so you really have to do a little bit of, I had to do some figuring this thing out. I was actually applying for jobs as uh, a recruiter. I was actually, um, and, and it was actually Carol. Carol, I interviewed with Carol, and um, and she was only doing it as like a courtesy interview for talent acquisition. And I think I was talking about how I recruit doc because at that time I was doing um, I was the first sergeant for uh, the military district of Washington's medical recruiting company. So I was telling her, oh yeah, we're on a mission to take high-paid doctors out of high-paying jobs. And they'll come work for the Army for one-third of their income <laughs> and a free trip to the Middle East very soon after they join. And Carol's like, well, how do you do that? And so I started explaining the process of how we do it, from getting mission to adjudicating the mission, assigning it, all that, going through the whole process to um, accomplishing the mission and then, you know, reallocating resources, all of it. I just went through the whole, the whole thing because I was very nervous talking to her and um, – I felt my comfort zone talking about something I knew very well. So I talked about the entire recruiting process. And at the end, she looked at me and said, have you ever thought about being a project manager? And I said, well, I'm, I don't have my PMP. And Carol, I'll never forget it. She said, I don't care. Like everything you just told me was a project. You just went through the entire thing. And maybe that's something you should look at doing. And fast forward, I get hired on Carol's team as a project manager. 
and worked my way up through the team um, since I've been, been on. So um, I think the thing, looking back, if I reflect back, you know, and I hate this saying, but I, I'm going to say it, you don't know what you don't know. You truly don't. Um, I think if I were to have taken on more mentors outside of the military at that time, I think that would have helped me develop what I wanted to do. And I could have probably been more aggressive in, in pursuing what I, what I didn't even know I wanted. I actually want to pull on that thread a little bit because uh, it goes back to Carol. Like you've been, obviously, you're probably the longest tenure of, of all of us here, both in the, the civilian and the, and the military sectors. Um, what Ed just mentioned was the ability to identify um, a skill set within our military construct, within that military experience. Um, you've, you've hired a lot of people. You've, you've seen a lot of veterans come through. You've worked a lot of private sector organiza organizations. What, what does the private sector or what can the private sector do better? What do we as the veteran community need to do better to help the private sector understand those experiences? You, you had, the, in, in Ed's story, embedded in Ed's story, was your ability to see you don't have your PMP, which for a lot of folks, if you're not, it's not on your resume, it's a, it's a disqualifier. But you saw that experience and, and you understood what that meant. What, do, what does the veteran community need to do to better to, to help private sector organizations understand it? Or what are the, conversely, what do private sector organizations need to do to understand the, 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 the implied experience in there? I, um, obviously, unemployment for veterans is nothing like it was when we started in 2015. No when it was 11%, 13%, much different than the uh, non-military. So we've made great strides, and it's just like you said, Ed, with the different programs and with the emphasis from the administration. But when you talk about what can we do, I think as veterans, we have a, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to tell our stories. We have to help. There is a civil divide. We have to help the private sector and just people out there. They all love us. Thank you for your service. but. Where does that get you? Yeah. Um, and usually you don't feel like talking to them. You know, I, I tell the story, I park at, um, I park at um, Home Depot, and, you know, of course I have the general star on my windshield because you can't get those damn things off once you leave the service. Um, <laughs> you know, and people say, oh, where did your husband serve? So right there I'm pissed <laughs> off. Oh, boy. Um, but if I don't tell my story, what did I do to help lessen that civ mill divide? So don't hide. Don't hide who you are and what you've done. It helps all of us when you do, and it will help those other members who are transitioning. Like, I'd rather switch this camera and hear what all of you have done and how you transitioned out. And it's easy for us. It's easy for Greencastle because we understand one another. But when we talk about how do we help the private sector, First thing you got to do is educate and familiarize. So that's one reason you tell your story. One thing we did at Comcast, because I saw it, we had hiring managers. They'd see Ed and they'd say, well, I don't need a medic, you know, if they even knew what a medic was um, or what a combat medic did. I can just imagine the visions in their head. So we have to help the hiring managers understand the skills that every, we hear this all the time the embedded skills that we who have served, the transformative experience we have all had, and what that brings to the private sector. Now, when you're, the other thing is share that all we did in the military is train on new stuff. 
the DOD has the biggest budget, new equipment training, net training, everybody hear that? Yep, that's all we did. You, you never got to just relax uh, on the last thing you learned. You know, then the damn strikers came along and then uh, you were just always training. So I was a maintenance officer, by the way. Um, and, and so the private sector can train us. They can train us these specifics, but they can't train us on leadership, on perseverance, on the ability to come into a new situation, do what we call a situational analysis, kind of get what's what, and then be able, well, to even understand the mission and to articulate the mission, which the private sector is not always very good at. Um, so we have to help the private sector understand that, and that's on all of us. What we did at Comcast is we started a Veterans at Work certificate program with SHRM, Society for Human Resource Management, because I saw they, they just don't get it. And it was, what are the 15 things every veteran wants you to know? It's simple little web-based, so you ought to check this out. Um, simple web-based training, um, no cost, because we pay for it. 15 things every veteran wants you to know, understanding the military culture, why hire a military spouse, things that they never thought of. People would get a spouse resume, and even if they're no longer in, they would see all those gaps in the resume. And do you think they send it on to the next person? No. But if they understand why and what it took to move that many times, um, then they're much more likely to to at least interview. And that's one we, thing we saw is we had to get over the won't even interview. And because we found when we did our, our, um, our, our um, analysis of it, if they got the interview, military was much higher propensity to be hired. But they weren't getting the interviews at necessarily the same rate because of that lack of knowledge. So we have to tell our stories. We have to understand the resources that are out there to educate our private sector, and things have changed so much. You've got Hiring Our Heroes, you've got Psych Armor. Psych Armor has done a lot with um, just educating the private sector on working with the military community. And then I, I think these award programs have brought it for, to the forefront the value of military talent. I, I want to piggyback on that a little bit with Sean. Um, just because in your bio it, it said that you work with um, helping in, in ensure that the veteran community is represented and in, in, in across the board in, in, in all the business units. Um, the the DE&I efforts um, have been accelerated with companies and industries across across the board for in the last few years, right? We really, you follow social media, just DE&I is everywhere and, and for good reason, right? Um, but Veterans, even as a marginalized population, have it's still lagging. The, the inclusion of the veterans in, uh, and we've seen that with some folks that we've talked with. They go, oh, yeah, we're, we're focusing on this population, this population. Veterans, yeah, yeah, we're going to get to them. They're just not there. Um, how do we as the veteran community help organizations include vets in, in those efforts? Um, and, and what are the barriers to doing that? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, this is something that we've thought about a lot. Uh, as, you know, DE&I and, um, and at Comcast, we refer to it, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, numerous external and, and internal initiatives um, associated with that. And so when, when we looked at, all right, well, how, how do we ensure that the veteran community um, is included within this? Um, and then Comcast is in a bit of a unique situation. I've, I've only been with Comcast like two and a half years, so I've worked for plenty of other civilian employers. Um, never had any issues with civilian employers, but I've never seen an internal culture 
like at Comcast that really recognizes, celebrates, and, and supports the military community. But with all that said, we knew that we actually actually had an opportunity. Uh, oftentimes, when DEI initiatives are are associated, it's associated with either a race or an ethnicity or, or sexual orientation, right? The, those kind of buckets. Well, the military community spans all of it because it it doesn't matter. Um, and something that Carol does says a lot, and and, and I, I really like it, is that what makes this affinity group, the military community, slightly different than other affinity groups is we all chose to be a part of it, yeah. regardless of where we came from. And yeah, you don't volunteer to be a person of color, right. but you do have to volunteer right. to serve in the military. And exactly what Sean's saying, the military represents every single diversity group now that we have total acceptance of LGBTQ. We had a little bit of a problem there when the military was pushing back on that. But now we can say we're in every group. Yep. And so then it's, then it, what we really looked at is bringing those stories to those initiatives. So for example, Black History Month, Women's History Month, um, Asian American Pacific Islanders Month, some of these kind of tentpole moments in our, in our country's culture uh, where a lot of entities, private and, and, and uh, public entities are focused on it is we did some mining to find stories uh, within our own military community of individuals that represented that affinity group um, and then tried to showcase it. So for example, last year during Asian American and Pacific Islanders Month, um, our focus as a, as a company was to acknowledge some of the um, uh, violent acts that were occurring that time um, against individuals of, of Asian descent here in the U.S. Um, and so... During, we found that our, our head doctor for Comcast, so the guy that's been leading our company's response to COVID, and when I say company, I mean Comcast and NBC Universal. So everything from our field technicians that are doing installs at people's homes to uh, movie production sets, so on and so forth, he's setting that policy based on his expertise and whatnot. Well, guess what? He's Iraq and Afghanistan veteran. He's an army doc. Um, and he'd be the first one to tell you that the experiences that he had in combat of saving lives, civilian and military, whomever, enabled him to take on this huge responsibility when the world was shutting down to lead a company, 130,000 employees. 167. Sorry. Uh, 167,000. Yeah, um, through that, through that uh, time. And he, he ties it right back to his experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan. So that's a, that's a storyline. That's Oh, and he just happens to be an immigrant from Taiwan, right? So really the story was about his military service, but he just happened to be a representative of the Asian American community. And so we elevated that story through press releases, social media. Um, we just we plastered it saying, this is a representative of our military community, but also has touch points these other affinity groups. So what we're trying to do is not tell those groups you need to come to us. Yeah. We're trying to push it out to them, um, if that makes sense. With If you're looking at companies that are looking to integrate um, different affinity groups, find where those connection points are. Um, yeah. For like the disabled community, um, you know, unfortunately, post 9-11 veterans, 40% of us have a service-connected disability the highest percentage out of any other um, vet, veteran, uh, generation of veterans. 
Well, there's probably a, lo a lot of overlap with our disability or accessibility initiatives within the company just because many of us are moving through the world differently. Uh, so again, it's, it's finding where those intersections are and bringing the military community to it and being proactive in it. You mentioned that the fact that you, you, know, you didn't choose to be a person of color or choose to be born of Asian descent, but we chose to go in the military. Veterans writ large are just, they're a little reluctant to look for handouts. And, and I will talk to Ed in a, in a second about sort of the, the nonprofit partnerships. But Sean, to go back to your point, we're, 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 we're never, we never want to be a charity case. Is, is that, does that play into our inclusion in, in the diversity space? Because we're, we're never looking to like, I just want to be measured on my merits. I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a, a charity case or be included just because the policy is forcing you. Is that, is that something that we sort of bring on ourselves because we don't advocate for ourselves? Well, I, I think we as, as humans, when we, when we talk about recognition of affinity groups or recognizing indifferences, we simplify things, right? You have a different color of skin or you from a different um, ethnicity or background and it's easy for us to categorize in that way. Um, you can celebrate those differences and acknowledge those differences. So, for example, um, um, our Comcast doctor, Dr. Jeff Zhang, um, you know, part of his story isn't the fact that he was just Asian. It was the fact that his immigrant parents taught him, and he'll say it, hard work. That hard work led to him seeking out education. In order to get that education, he joined the army to pay for that education. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's all these touch points that you celebrate, you acknowledge, so you, you look at the whole person. So I think when, when pulling the military community into these different uh, spaces of discussion, mm -hmm. I think if we talk about the individual holistically, I think we'll find acceptance within it. Um, and also that... When you say like a yes, we, many of us don't want to be a charity case, yeah. right? And so, that's not to suggest that the, no. the other populations do, but no, I you can't help right. the color of my skin. But the veterans, are like, yeah, it's just something in my past, right? Yeah. Sometimes you hear that from the vets. So I think what what can be done there, and, and we see it in, in in a lot of our ERGs that represent different affinity groups, is people just don't want to sit around and say, yeah, we're great because we yeah. shared this. Yeah. They're actually the, the most engagement that we get from those employee resource groups are when you put them to action. So I think from the military community, it's just like, yeah, this is great. We're the military community. Now go, go get this project together to help this other organization because that's giving them purpose. And so that's where you get the real engagement and I think the buy-in from people is give them a new mission. Okay. Say, this is a great culture. Great. Go do something with it. Go do something positive with if it. If I can comment on that whole charity thing, um, we can blame the media. We can blame the media and society. We'd like to focus on those veterans who are homeless, those veterans who have substance abuse issues, those veterans who have alcohol abuse issues. Um, and that's because I think many of us who have found the military to be, as I said, transformative, but also it enhanced us as an individual. It gave us more than we were, sounds corny, more than we were when we went in, be all you can be. But we don't tell our stories, so the image is of those, and they are there. But in order to get the private sector to understand veterans, we have to tell our story so they don't think we're all broken. And it's tough. Sean and I both, we had a, um, talking about disabilities, we were willing to go on camera, which I never talk about what happened to me in Iraq. But in order to help people understand that, yeah, you might have, you might have some after effects of your combat um, experience. 
but it doesn't mean you're broken and that you can't hold a job and that you can't give back. It wasn't comfortable for me to talk about it. I have an extreme hyperstartle reflex. I'll be in a meeting with the president of the company and somebody will slam down their book and I'm all over the place. I mean, I, I grab the guy next to me, which can be embarrassing when he's the president. Um, but it, it, by talking about it, they realize, okay, your brain still works. You may have these after effects, but I think we have to talk about those things so that we can counter that image of broken veterans. Now, I tell everybody all the time. I, I myself, I have a TBI too. I tell everybody all the time. It's like, hi, I'm Ed, I have a TBI. I'm normal. <laughs> I'm normal though. It's okay. I just have a little hypervigilance once in a while, but it's okay. I, I deal with it. So yeah, I agree. You got to tell people because they do have an image of all of us as, you know, we're hiding in a corner 24-7 and drinking nonstop or beating our spouse or whatever. Ticking time bomb. Yeah, and it's, it's totally not true. So, yeah, I think the more we talk about it openly and, and, and put it out there that we're normal, functioning people also, we just happen to have, you know, maybe we're a little bit too close to a bomb when it went off once or twice in our career. That's, that's it. That's what happened. So. I actually had that teed up as one of the questions, and it's just a coincidence that today happens to be the 20th anniversary of, of Operation Anaconda, which was one of the fiercest battles up in the Battle of Takargar uh, in Afghanistan. A lot of lives lost and just, just one of the fiercest and most devastating battles. And, and because that just on, coincidentally happened to be the anniversary today, um, I, I wondered that sometimes when people think of vets that, that they think of incidents like that, and the PTSD that comes from that. Um, and, and so I just want to go back, really, we, we've, we've teed it up already. Is that, a, is that a stigma that vets have to address? And, and, and if so, how do they do that? Or have we, have we moved past that, or is that still? No. I throw out the fact that veterans do not experience PTSD at, a, at any greater rate than the public. So if the public has been attacked, if they've been broken into in their home, if they've had a severe accident, they too experience PTSD. So the, the rates of PTSD are not any greater. It's just the stories are there and are, are very dramatic. So I, I think we, we do have to address and know it's not a thing of the past and it doesn't mean we're all screwed up. Um, I was, I was going to add to your list of, of traumatic things that have happened, being isolated in your house for two years almost yeah. due to a global pandemic that was killing half the world. I mean, that's probably yeah. something that caused trauma to some people as well. So, I mean, yeah. One thing we did, um, you talk about Anaconda, the fall of Afghanistan, we knew we had a population of veterans, most of whom were 9-11 vets and many of whom had served in Afghanistan. We pulled together and addressed the issue that this was a challenge for many of us. I know personally, I was sick. You know, to see that, to see those families being broken up, we had worked so hard to pull those countries together. Um, so we actually put out information about, hey, we acknowledge what you're going through. Here are the mental health resources that are available. Here's what the VA is doing. So we have to acknowledge these things, not only for ourselves, but for our colleagues who may not understand what we're going through. I don't know about you, but Ukraine, my, my guts are, I'm a mess. Yeah. Just to see that, it's so similar to the things we've seen that it's hard not to have it impact your life. So I think we have to acknowledge that it's a little bit different for us. I mean, I see bombed out buildings and immediately I think of all the bombed out buildings we've all seen. And 
and when the rounds were coming in and we saw it. So to watch it is really hard. So we have to acknowledge and, and find strength in one another rather than just push it under the rug and act like it doesn't bother us. I mean, it bothers me and, yeah. I mean, I've seen a, a huge shift. I mean, I'm still in um, serving a, as a reservist. And so in my almost 20 years, I've seen a monumental shift in cultural and cultural acceptance, at least within the Army, of recognizing the symptoms and the impact of post-traumatic stress and then trying to mitigate it. Whether those methods are beneficial or not, that, that's yet to be seen, but a lot of times it's based on the individual, how much investment you want to put into it. So when I, I think it's something that we should continue to address as a community, not, not only the institution of the military, but also different spheres of the veteran space. Uh, we do have to address it because as opposed to the trauma being thrust on you, I think there is a, a unique component that in which we volunteered to potentially have the trauma. Do, do you know what I'm saying? So I, I think that's a unique, slight difference. Um, and then the, But the manifestation of the symptoms, whether it's depression, anxiety, hypervigilance, whatever it is, can be quite similar. Um, I think we should talk about it openly because oftentimes the services, whether it's your employer that's offering them, so there's plenty, like for example at Comcast, there's a lot of mental wellness resources that we have access to um, as employees, or whether you get those services elsewhere in that support. So for example, when my PTS, when I got diagnosed finally, um, and I started going to counseling, for the first year it was to get me back to baseline, at least for my own standards of life how I wanted to live. But I kept going. I was like, why am I keep going? Because I was like, well, a lot of these skills and resources that I'm developing is actually becoming life enhancing. So I think as a community, it's, you know, it's, it's not just a therapy based on an injury. It's something that could be quite um, beneficial. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm friends that are in um, uh, the special operations community and Part of their training is these different types of resiliency training. Um, and they've told me some of the things that they go through, and it's just to make them a better operator because it's like, look, your profession is intense. So we got to figure out ways to develop that mental muscle, um, if that makes sense. Two things to jump on here, and then, Ed, it's your turn. Um, resiliency. The, the Army's resiliency training is incredible, and it's all available online. I, I, mean, I recommend you all take a look at it. One of the best uh, core elements of it is hunt the good stuff as a way to counter those negative thoughts that are in your head. The, the other thing I want to touch on is we talk about combat. What is it? Only 40% of people have, have served in combat that have served in the military. One of the saddest things I ever experienced, I'm with veterans, and I'll, I'll, I'll introduce myself, and they'll say, uh, I only served in peacetime. Now that's the saddest damn thing I ever heard, as if they didn't count. And so, you know, the, the whole strategy, defense strategy of the U.S. is uh, peace through deterrence, peace through strength. So those who stood at the ready did just as much as anybody that had to go over, and we all wish we ha didn't have to. So please acknowledge those who served and stood there ready to back up and to go at a moment's notice. Everybody raised their hand. Everybody said, I could die doing this. 
So they're just as valuable. And please recognize our Korean War vets, the Forgotten War. So when you meet a vet, as a veteran, go up and shake their hand and say, hey, I know it was thought of as the Forgotten War. It never ended. You know, please know that we know your history and we care about you. And the same thing for any of you. How many of you have deployed? How many of you deployed to a combat zone? Yeah, so it's not all of you. So recognize one another and the contributions those folks made um, because we'd like to get to the point where nobody has to deploy. So uh, just make sure we recognize all veterans, combat or not. I think that modesty piece is, is an interesting uh, challenge for, for veterans. And I, I speak from a personal experience. I catch myself sometimes saying I'm just a reservist because I, I, yes. I don't want an active duty guy to, or gal to, to, to think that I'm trying to, to compare myself. And, and uh, some people say, yeah, we I know. Well, we, it's, we, well we, I'm Navy and you're all Army. So that's, that kind of goes through. 51% of, of the defense forces are Guard and Reserve. So right there, if you're not a Guard and Reserve, if you're not holding your own, then we don't have a defense force. So if you, if you were talking to me and said that, you'd be done doing push-ups. Well, that, was, that was a theoretical. I just, yeah, yeah. was hypothetical. Don't ever was, yeah. say I'm just anything. You have a very important role. Okay. Okay. Yes, yes ma'am, yes, will work. Yes, yes ma'am. Okay. Yes, ma'am, yeah. will work. It was just purely hypothetical. <laughs> I've never said that. Uh, but no, but I, to, to you guys' point, I think that 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 modesty piece is is it's, it's a it's it's one of the the, the great um, character traits that we bring, but it's also one, and it kind of it's it's almost a theme throughout everything we've talked about. Is I, I want to trivialize or I want to minimize my, my PTS because I don't want I don't want that stigma. I don't want I don't need to be a, a sympathy case for somebody. Or uh, I, it's look I, I I did this and I, yes I had some leadership, but yet we we were reluctant to really. Uh, um, emphasize the the leadership uh, experiences we have and I wonder if that that's uh, just something that that's almost a limitation that we have to kind of get out of our own head trash. I think you're right and I, I think it actually really plays out when it comes to when we're trying to transition out of the military yeah. into the civilian workforce we're, we are so self-trained to minimal to, to be modest to minimalize oh, yeah. our our input or our impact yeah. on on things because yeah. we're all about the team. We're right. all about the team. Yeah. We're all about, you know, my function. Actually, you know, um, when I talk to, tra I do a lot of talking to groups of transition and service members. And I, I often tell them as one of the interview tips is this is the one time now yeah. it's yeah. not about yeah. your team. Yeah. Don't, tell the, don't tell the interviewer what your team did or what your group yeah. accomplished. What they want to know, they're not going to hire your group. They're not <laughs> going to hire your team. They want to hire you. So they need to know what your function was. If it was leading the team, tell them I led the team. I created the strategy. I made sure the strategy was executed properly by you know, doing quality control checks or whatever. Like whatever your function was within that team, you need to, you need to it's time to shine. It's time to tell somebody what your role was. Um, fun thing also, just real quick, yeah. Dr. Jeff. Yeah, my company recruits Dr. Jeff to the Army, so it's always funny when I see him. I like to bring that up, but it's just funny how it's a small <laughs> yeah, world. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, we definitely have to do a better job of talking about the things that we did, like yeah. like recruiting Dr. Jeff to you know yeah. to the Army. So, like I had, I had a friend of mine uh, who he just completed 23 years, uh, retired, uh, and so he he was on the job hunt for two two and a half years. He took some contracting. Um, jobs in between, but he, he wanted something permanent. And so he called me up one day, just recently, this is a couple weeks ago, and he said, Sean, this company 
wants to hire me. And he told me the dollar figure, the salary. He's like, this is crazy. I'm like, that sounds awesome. Like, that's a ton of money. What are they? He's like, yeah, they want to. They... He didn't ask for the recruiter. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he said, they want to hire me because they like that my military experience because they need somebody to lead this entity and help get it organized. They don't care that I don't know the industry. Yeah. They want kind of that. He was an NCO and an officer, right? But he's like, they want that management, right? Yeah. That uh, Those skills. And I was like, yeah, so what's the problem? He goes, I just don't think I deserve that salary. And I said, you're <laughs> nuts. I said, welcome to the civilian world. <laughs> if somebody is willing to offer it to you yeah. and you're able to want to put yourself out there, go out and compete. Um, for example, some of my friends that are NCOs, they think, ah, this job looks like it's for yeah. a junior officer. In the yeah. civilian world, right? It's something equivalent. Who cares? Go out and compete. It's a civilian world, right? It, it's not rigid. It's not, here's your pay grade. Here are the jobs that are available to you based on your MOS. Go out there and compete. But that is, as Ed was saying, that is, I think, difficult for a lot of us that grew up in a, if most of your working careers in the military where it's rigid, policies, MOSs, uh, pay grades, so on and so forth, when the, when the doors open up like that, it can be overwhelming. But the best thing to do is understand yourself, mm -hmm. what you bring to the table, to any organization, and then learn how to tell that story. And you don't have to be a wordsmith or anybody. You can just tell it in very simple terms. That's actually probably better that you tell it in simple terms. But if you have those things, you'll be setting yourself up for success throughout that transition, because transition is hard enough. What are they going to do? They're going to say no? The worst that can happen is they'll say no, and then you learn from it. You They're all going to go out of here and ask for raises. You know yeah, that, yeah. don't you? Yeah, stand by. But I do have a comment for all of you that are here. So you're hearing about transition. You've already transitioned. You've got a job. But we often hold seminars that say you're not going to manage your Comcast career like the Army managed their career. You're not going to get a tap on the back that says, get your packet ready. You're gone up before the promotion board. And so we have military folks in our, our company who sit there. They're waiting for that to happen. Yeah. And nobody's going to tell you, hey, you ought to look at this and you ought to look at that. You, you better do that whole situational analysis constantly so you know how to move throughout the private sector. Do your research because that's who you are. You're looking at your career. And how do you continue to improve yourself? I was always amazed in the military when I would have a position, maybe for a lieutenant colonel, and there's somebody I wanted to interview. And gosh darn it, if they didn't have their military education done. You know, how stupid is that? You're, you got the opportunity to move on to the next position, but you didn't do your education as soon as you could. Same thing here. Do the professional development things that are available to you so when opportunities come up, you're, you're ready to take them. Don't wait for the opportunity and say, oh, damn, why didn't I take that PMI exam? Um, you just got to manage your own career. It's totally different than what we did in the military. With that, uh, probably just some closing thoughts, and it probably was already embedded in, in some of what we said, but I'll, uh, I'll go down the line, Ed and, and Carol, and with you, just some closing thoughts on veteran transition, where we are today, just sort of the essence of, I mean, there were so many nuggets of what we pulled out, veterans, how they try and find purpose, and, and getting out of our own head trash, and, and, and owning uh, the, the, the great experience that we have, just I'll, I'll leave it to each of you with some closing thoughts. Yeah, I'll start with, I mean, it's simple with, now it, now is if you're a veteran looking for a career switch now or if you're transitioning out of the military now this is the greatest time ever 
to do it in the history, I think, of, of being a veteran or being a transition to military. There's so much opportunity out there. There's so many programs from SkillBridge to, um, you know, Microsoft has one, Amazon has one, Salesforce has one. I mean, everybody has a program, it seems now, to help uh, veterans either, you know, switch careers or, or, or transition out of the military. So, I mean, now's the time to do it. Opportunities out there. I will say, keep in mind, the very first thing you need to focus on is rebranding yourself. Make sure you know what, what the future you is going to be. So when those opportunities do present themselves, you're coming to the table and talking about what value you're bringing to that potential employer. It's okay to tell them that you're in the military, but I would put that after the first part, which is the value you're bringing to them now, because they don't have, a, most employers, they don't have a lot of infantry spots. They don't have a lot of truck driver <laughs> spots. They don't, have pilots. A lot of, they don't have a lot of tankers or pilots <laughs> or anything like that. So it's good to tell them that you've done that, but first tell them why you're there. Tell them what you're bringing to the table now, why you're a value to them now, and then that's the nice icing on the cake, you know, the cherry on top to say, you know, I'm also a veteran and I served, and I have all these awesome leadership uh, skills and team building skills that I'm bringing to your team as well. So I would say that. Just make sure if you're transitioning now or looking for a new career now, make sure you, you take a moment, rebrand yourself to where you're going, and that should be your first foot out or first foot forward. Sure, Sean. I think a part of that that rebranding process is, you know, the military can become such an ingrained component of individual's identity. You know, there's so many aspects from not only your work and professional life and the culture, and especially with most of us, we we got in it young, right? So we're impressionable. We're trying to figure out who we are in this world, and a lot of it is great, but it's not all of you. So when I talk to friends that. Um, you know, I, I left active duty, uh, you know, over 12 years ago. And sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. But the military is an inherent part of me. But it's only, it's one part of me, right? There's other aspects to me. So when it comes to, like, rebranding yourself is um, be who you want because you actually, you have a bit more opportunities within the civilian world, I think, to, to live a life that you want to live. Um, and so embrace that. Um, it can be scary. But that's okay. Um, and just take the good things that you've gotten from that military experience in order to help you throughout that transition. Uh, the military does not have to be your entire identity for the rest of your life. Carol? That's a good point. And I worry about that sometimes personally. I went from, re I retired and then I went into <clears throat> this job where I had to set up a team to serve the military community. So it's been military throughout everything I've done. And you have the same thing here. You're with like-minded people who get the military. You got paddles up there. You got rooms by the service. Although I didn't see a Space Force room. Is it coming? Well, in our expansion. In your expansion. Okay, cool. Um, so think about what are you when all that's gone and nobody even knows about the military. The other thing I would ask you, since we all take care of each other, is there's VSOs, Veteran Serving Organization, and MSOs, Military Serving Organizations. We we owe it to give back. You have a job. You've done the transition. Now, granted, you're going to be looking at your career going forward, but think about those other people that may need a, a hand up or tell them about your skill bridge program. My God, I'd be, I'd have cards. Do they have cards that tell people about that when you hand up? You do? That's where it was smart. That'd be a yes. good thing. When you're out there meeting somebody in Home Depot and you hand them something and said, hey, Greencastle has this great training program. Help other people 
um, understand the, the resources that are out there. The last resource I'll leave you with, and I don't know how many of you were diversity officers or NCOs when you were in the service, but DEOMI, D-E-O-M-I, the Defense, Defense Education, Equal Equal Defense Equal Opportunity Management Institute. My God, there's everything there that is public domain, all about the, the military and its role in the various uh, recognition months. So right now you can go on there and learn that Mary Walker was the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor. You know, you'll just get so many great stories that you can share and help people understand how the military is integrated in every single thing we do. Awesome. Um, guys, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Thank you for sharing your insights. Uh, we appreciate it and uh, look forward to having you guys back. Great. Awesome. Great. Thank Thanks you. for having us.